says, um, Dad, that's terrible. Because you guys are so in our heart. And she said, that's terrible because that's a flight for me to go spend a week in Haiti. So we're not going. <laughs> what do you say to an 11-year-old? Okay, well, we're going to Haiti because we love that. So we're thinking 25 years means a week in Haiti. How does, does that sound good? That's where I think we would rather be. Susan's not committing to that yet right now. She's not. She's not. <laughs> so anyway, we love you guys. You're deep in our hearts. Um, I think if uh, if God's grace would be more than sufficient, I would love to speak some truth over this church body out of the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians and just for us to close the series and kind of engage in the Christmas season uh, beginning next week in a really rich and robust way. But for today, just this idea of being called by God and and uh, I think it's an incredible, extraordinary calling. I love it um, that, you know, Patty's in the room and through a wide diversity of circumstances and situations, God is working and orchestrating her life for good, despite the extraordinarily bad things that he is working it for good, for his sake and his glory, for the cause. And uh, I love um, I love sitting in the room. One of my students is here who's now not a student anymore, but she's called and serves at a church in Crestview, Florida. Glad to have Sheena worshiping with us. She was in our student ministry. She's now Ryan's age, which I don't know what she meant to offend me by to tell me how old she was so that I would know how old I am. Thank you so much for the encouragement. And so uh, just the call. And then I think we're trying to extrapolate this idea that, you know what, there's, it's not if you're at First Baptist serving on staff or if you're in Clarkston in the, the city block that's the most diverse in America or if you're parked here at Mandarin, God has called us to some extraordinary things for His namesake and for His glory. And I love, Mike, if we could just keep hitting that base note to say, God, I want you to draw me to what resonates in my soul, to what it is that you are doing within me. And Father, I really want you to draw out your life through me. There's been some sentences I'll just read that we, I think, have been pretty important for us as we close this series, that we're a people who live together, a called people who live together with Christ as the center of who we are. And that's an important thing. We're not just a gathering of people because traditionally we've met here or we gather on Sunday mornings at 10 or 11 or whatever your time has been the entirety of your life. It used to be 11, now it's 10.30 and now churches meet all over the place. But um, I, we're not that. We're a people who are meeting together because Jesus is at the center of who we are. And that's just the part of being called. Christ is worshipped. He is central. He's elevated. He's honored. He's amplified. He's adored among us. That's some things that we've talked about in the past weeks. Our calling, by the way, every one of us in this room is called, and our calling may be costly. If you'll recall, Paul didn't begin this fourth chapter of Ephesians with a, I'm calling you to a Caribbean resort. He began by saying, I'm calling you to an imprisonment to the chains of the gospel. That may or may not involve a physical imprisonment, but it means that your life is changed to Jesus as the center point of who you are. And so it may be costly, but it will be worthy. And so as you're sitting in this room going, I don't know, I want to follow Jesus. I'm thinking about following Him because I want a good road to this world. I'm just kind of maybe put that to the side and say, you will walk a worthy road. It may not be a good road. It is a worthy road that will lead you to the goodness and the glory of God. Because we're together, we've talked about over the last weeks, we gain a greater and more glorious vision of God. 
And that's significant because I want to say that again. Because we're sitting in this room and we share life. Primarily, most of us in this room are in Mandarin and this is our home church. Because we're together, I gain a greater and more glorious vision of God as a result. And I'm so grateful as I talk about the called in this room and what it means to flesh out the calling of God in your life and what it means to say, God, you know, I want to live out and sharpen those around me. I'm so thankful that we will gain a better picture of Christ because of one another. It makes me so deeply grateful for this church. And I wrote this. I actually, my heart just went toward, that is the greatest gift at the Christmas season. And a sentence that we've said is, we are a gift to one another. And we are a gift of grace and goodness from God for one another. And I thank God for you. And I praise God for you in my life. Every believer, by the way, that makes up this us has been given by God's grace a measure for His glory. It has been for the sake of His name and the sake of His glory. Every one of us in this room have been given, according to Ephesians 4, early in that chapter, a measure of God's grace for the glory of His people and for the glory of His name. That's so beautiful and powerful. And the gift of grace that God has given to you, this is all things we've talked about the last couple of weeks, is to serve God and other believers so that Christ is glorified and other believers are equipped and His name is amplified among us. And I am just, again, privileged by the weightiness of this idea of calling. And I want to read out of Ephesians, the fourth chapter, verses 17 and 22 through 24, and unpack this for a moment. Therefore, because you're called and because you are knitted together for the sake of the gospel, therefore, I say this and I testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk. There is no futility in your walk. There is no futility in your thoughts. Massive statement. And then he tells us in verses 22 through 24, why? You took off your former way of life. You are no longer the old self that was corrupted by deceitful desires. You are being renewed. And how? In the spirit of your minds. This goes extraordinarily well with the idea of being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as we are transformed in Romans, the 12th chapter. How are we transformed? By the renewing of our minds. I mean, you can even cheat sheet right there and go, he's saying it again. This is Paul, the same guy saying this to us, that our minds are being renewed for the sake of the goodness and the glory of God. You have put on a new self, the one that is created according to God's likeness in righteousness and in purity of truth. That's who's walking around in here in this moment. Not a people who are living in futility or in frustration, but in a people who have put on a new self, who are living in the midst of God's rightness, His righteousness, and the truth of the living God abounds among us. Praise God for that reality. Praise God for that truth. It is a, it is, uh, I love this thought that just flows out of that spiritual unity, this idea of not walking about in futility, of not walking about with a lack of passion and zeal for what God is doing among us, among us. This idea of walking in unity, it is not something that we create. This scripture talks about, um, it talks a lot about honesty, unity among the body and what it means to walk as one, as the body of believers, using the gifts God has given us. But let me be really clear for this. You and I don't create unity. The Spirit of God and Jesus Christ has given us a new wardrobe, a new perspective, and new life. And He is unity among us. 
And here's what we then do. If we are who we are and we are what we have gained in Christ, we don't create unity, we maintain unity. We walk in oneness with the Father. If we're walking in the midst of disunity among fellow believers, we're also walking in disunity with God. And it means a call of ours to speak truth with one another, to give grace to one another, to forgive one another, and to guard this unity that God has created among us. Substantial, life-changing, and church-altering to understand what Paul is saying. Anything else would be futility. And it would be walking about as if we are wardrobed in our old selves. And we are anything but. We are people who are united by truth, united in Christ, and united for one another. And it is Christ, and I have been undone by this verse in the fourth chapter, verse 16, that says, it is in Christ that we are knitted together, ligament after ligament, pieced together for the sake of God's glory. I mentioned this last week. I just want you to keep pondering and come talk to me offline, not when I'm up here speaking right now, but come talk to me in the missions room in a moment about what you're gaining from this because it has boggled my mind the equivocation of Psalm 139. That God knows our days, that He is in wonderment of who we are, that He has formed us and known us before the creation of time, that He has knitted us together in our mother's wombs. That is a powerful truth individually in this room. How beautiful you are to the living God. But not only does He say that about us as individuals, but He then says here about the unity of the body of Christ, that as ligaments and muscles pieced together, God is knitting us as one. That is massive for me. I would love to hear you tell me how the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about that because I am beginning to have a far greater perspective of the role of the body of Christ and I have greatly valued the body of Christ, but I am gaining a greater perspective that God not only was knitting us before the foundation of the world as individuals in our mother's womb, but He was knitting us in that moment so that He could knit us together in this moment also. It is no longer a solo endeavor on my part, and I am not randomly nor capriciously placed it in the heart of the Mandarin Baptist family or in Jacksonville, Florida. But I am created and placed here as a calling of God for the sake of His glory, with you as my partners, holding arms together, rooted and established in the goodness of Jesus Christ. I just rejoice in that. A sentence that's coming up on the screen that I put as a thought for you is shared life with the called is not simply just a group who live together and who love one another. And I've shared this sentence before, but I love this in context of church. It's not just a group going down to scream, go Jags in a little while and have that in unity. The called, the people with Christ at their center, it is a place of resurrection. It is a place where God is stepping into our midst and resurrecting lives, restoring people, bringing out of brokenness, wholeness. It is a group of people who are gathering in this room saying, Jesus, you are resurrected among us. Take who we are and resurrect it for the sake of your name. That's who we are as a people. Dallas Willard said it this way, one of my favorite authors. He says, this this aim that God has in human history is this, the fostering and creative creation of an exclusive or an inclusive community of loving persons. That's pretty important that I say that word right. An inclusive community of loving persons with Christ at the center of who we are as our primary sustainer and our primary glorious inhabitant. At the center of this whole resurrection story is Jesus Christ. And He has put us together for His namesake. He is knitting us. 
as a place of resurrection. I, um, I introduced you to a friend of our family um, at least one other time. It was several years ago. But I wanted you to meet a family friend again just to, to know a little bit of what I think God is doing in this passage. And I kind of, I often relate to stories in my own life. And so a family friend is here. Um, this may be uh, significant for one member of my family who's in the room. She may charge the stage right now. But um, this is Puffy. Can you say hello to Puffy and wave and say hello, how are you? Um, we treated Puffy as if, I don't know why I would say he, because he could not be a he, could he? It's a she. Thank you so much, Cynthia. Um, this this is treasure for us. This is inexpressible treasure for us. Puffy is a Puffy is an extraordinary part of our family. This goes in the safe in our family where it can't be lost. Um, I, I want to get this out so that I can um, unburden my heart, because we have a Puffy for Ella, who is our baby. And as we flew to Haiti last time, um, we do not ever bring this up to Ella, a painful story, but this has incalculable worth to us because Puffy is lost in the airport in Haiti. It was, her name was Silky, and Puffy has been a missionary to Haiti for the last year and a half, and that is the only way that Ella survives each night. And it has incalculable worth, so much so that I almost took off running through an airport with Haitians drawing their guns at me as I was trying to restore the other Silky. Susan said, you could have been heroic and killed all at the same time. And we never found Silky, so we still have four of these that are treasures to us. Puffy, for Cynthia, was um, was ex- extraordinary. Puffy went wherever she went. If she went down the slide, Puffy went with her. If you, you can't picture this right now because we have not only washed Puffy but used a Clorox on Puffy, but Puffy at one point was not pink Puffy, but it was called black Puffy because it was so dark from all the dirt where she would take Puffy everywhere that she went. So she would ask for black Puffy. And she had blue puffy, black puffy, because there's another story that goes with that. It went wherever she went. It ate whatever she ate. She fed puffy all the time. If she went down the slide, that's where puffy went. I mean, she loved this animal. When puffy has a moment where um, we went down the streets in five degrees, wind whipping through Fort Worth. If you've ever been in Texas, when the wind is blowing and it's five degrees, it's painful. And she and her mom went for a walk while I was at the Passion Conference, the second ever Passion Conference, and somewhere Puffy dropped on the streets of Fort Worth. And so at at 11 o'clock, we're trying to go to bed, and this little cherished one has nothing to do with sleep when Puffy's on the streets. And so at 11 at night, we're walking in downtown with her wrapped up. We're walking in downtown Fort Worth, not the friendliest place in the world, and we're in downtown Fort Worth, and we walk by, and we look to the corner, and in a shopping warehouse, stuck in the doorframe, is Puffy hanging. It was a Christmas miracle. I mean, it was rejoicing. We went and got Puffy. You, you can't hear this now, but Puffy's rattle was broken. It was run over by a car, but it was in her arms, and she loved this Puffy at that moment. And so rattle has never been the same, but that did not matter at all. I think that, uh, I think that's, I love that. I think that what you have to understand of why this is so abounding is that Cynthia loved Puffy when it got to her in the box, and she unpacked it. She loved Puffy every night that she went to sleep. She loved Puffy when Puffy was new. She loved Puffy when it was run over. She loved Puffy in the midst of its dirtiest moment. She loved Puffy in every single situation. And what she did is she gave Puffy, because of her love, an incalculable worth. Puffy had no eyes. Puffy was split and sewn back in two. Puffy was dirty. Puffy stunk. And yet Puffy had 
incalculable riches because of the love that she had for Puffy. I mean, you cannot put a dollar figure on this. And I just want you to, I want to come to you with this Ephesians 4 in mind and the futility that comes about when we begin to think of some sort of inner beauty that we have apart from Jesus Christ. That is utter futility. The love that moves toward us, the love that God has for us is one that takes extraordinarily ugly and broken things and makes them beautiful, not because of what they are, but because of the intrinsic and extrinsic love of the living God who has moved toward them and moves inside of them for the sake of His name. There is a beauty about you that is a beauty that has come from God in force. And He has come and moved in His life inside of you. And the worth that you have to God is is immeasurable. And He has, if you are in Christ, He has fully restored you in all of your brokenness, in all of your nastiness, in all of your run over by the cars of this life. In every scenario, God has restored you unto yourself, unto Himself, and made you whole. And poured into you. And I think it's so important for us to understand that the scripture in verses 17 through 23 says, you will do great injustice if you don't sever the root of futility in your life. If you don't come to face to face with this, that I don't have a personal beauty about myself. I have no problem with that either by looking in the mirror or knowing myself on a day in and day out basis. I know that I don't bring anything to the table other than what Paul Christ described as utter futility. I have nothing but ignorance apart from Christ. I have nothing but walking about with stupidity and making decisions that are self-serving apart from Christ. But in Jesus Christ, severing the root and beginning to walk as one who has been purposed by Christ, who's being pieced back together by Christ, whose beauty does not come from what I bring to the table, but whose beauty comes from the living God Himself as He poured out His life into me through the living Christ and resurrected not only me, but He he resurrected not only His life, but He resurrected mine in Him. I love this as you begin to think about this rightly as you consider who you are, that you were, according to Ephesians 2.1, dead in your trespasses and sins. That's where you were, old puffies of this world. But here's where Cynthia stepped in, or more importantly, here's where Jesus stepped into your life. You were dead in your trespasses, but in verse 4 of chapter 2, but God, who is rich in mercy because of His extraordinary love that He had for us, made us alive with the Messiah when we were dead in the heart of our trespasses. So you're saved by grace. And together with Christ Jesus, you should just hear this. You're not just seated in any old place. You're not stuck off in a corner. Together, you are seated with Christ in the most beloved place that you can imagine. There's no possibility if we begin to understand that, that we downplay the severity of our root in sin and we upplay this, this capacity that Christ, Christ has met us in the source of our death. He has severed that root and He has called us to walk in purpose, not in futility. And He has placed us here as people who are radically loved. And He has also said, I have seated you and raised you up in the heavens so that in the coming days you might demonstrate the immeasurable riches of Jesus. If Puffy could speak right now and I could become a ventriloquist, he would start telling you stories of love that you can't fathom for the first 8, 9, 10, 
20 years of her life, you know? <laughs> can I take Puffy to college with me? Yes, you can. So, uh, I mean, if, if, if you could step into this room, I would pray that there would be an opening of our hearts to say we were and we are ragdolls, but can I tell you about the immeasurable riches of God in Christ? Can I tell you how He has come to me with a full force love and there are times that I am still on the outside. I am still not put together and I am still asking lots of questions in this world and I am still struggling here. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. On the inside, there is something that roars up inside of me that must be the Spirit of God and it is renewing me from the interior out. I am not super interested in what you see on the outside. I am super interested that day in and day out, from glory to glory, I am being transformed by the living Christ. Into ever-increasing glory for the sake of His name and for the glory of His name. We can't, according to Ephesians 4, as a church, come together in some off-handed matter and not deal with the root of our problem. You cannot be good or beautiful or put together in and of yourself. You are pieced together by coming to God in your brokenness, in your futility, and asking Him to rescue you from sin, from death, and into life. That is the story of the Gospel. And that's the picture of a unity. And that's what draws us together unless we sever the root of our our desire to put ourselves together and we pour our lives fully into God. He's going to talk later about this. And Paul wants to know, there is no point in me talking with you about how you manage your anger. I don't even need to speak of that until you get this in chapter 4. That's not even a topic at hand. I don't need to talk to you about your money. You're not going to honor me with your wealth until you honor me with your heart and your lips and your life. I don't need to come to you about your sexuality and how we want purity among one another in the body of believers. We don't even need to discuss that until we sever the root of self-sufficiency and we come into the fullness of the sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Now we'll talk about practicals. That's what I believe Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus and I believe what he's saying to the church at Mandarin. We're going to get together and we're going to speak truth to one another. We're going to live in purity among one another because we have severed the root of futility and we are living as a people in the midst of the immeasurable riches of God in Christ Jesus. That is the way to then go forward. We can't allow superficial, upbeat attitude changes from the pulpit or from the pew or from anywhere in between. We are coming in saying it is Jesus Christ who knits us together who holds us as one. Paul calls us and says, among you be healed. I love Paul because he's called the, the, he is called the, um, the apostle of grace. He is called that because he could not ever stop speaking of the merit of the grace of God and the goodness of God. Oh, that we would as a church be called the church of grace. If we ever name ourselves again, let's just call us grace is here. It is in Jesus. It is grace. It is grace that rescues us. I love this sentence that's coming up on the screen. If you, This is Augustine, a church father, speaking this. Love will slay what we have been so that we can become as a church what we are not. Love slays that. Love comes and meets you where you are. It says, immeasurably I want to come and draw into you and knit you together so that you are what you are not right now. You are a people who walk in unity and in glory in who God is. These are the roots that will go deep and stretch wide and establish us as one with one another. If you will, um, the redwoods. 
If you were here last weekend, just the substance of the roots that we have that run into the love of God in Christ and then entangle with one another and say, we are held up by one another for the glory of the living God. We hold each other up and the winds of this life may blow. Futility will come our way, but we stand in purpose. And then he tells us how. And he just, in, in maybe two or three sentences, I will share with you um, in five minutes or less, which should take us about 20 hours to truly unpack. Well, I mean, how about this? Can we just, as a church body, determine to unpack these truths together for the rest of our lives on this earth? For instance, he says to us, if you are going to be characterized by this and there's going to be an immeasurable love that flows out of your church and you're going to be rooted together and knit together, not in futility but in purpose, then you'll speak truth to one another. He carries that on in um, in verse 25 of chapter 4. He says, you put away lying. You speak truth, each one to his neighbor. You speak truth to one another in the midst of this body of believers. That's who we are. Authentic love, and I put this sentence on the screen, I think it's a powerful sentence, and it it will probably disturb you a little bit, but authentic love does that. It will unnerve, offend, disturb, or even hurt those who are being loved. And I think if we look at that, and we let me unpack it this way, if Jesus loved the way the church often thinks about love, he would have lived to a ripe old age. Jesus said, look, I want you to put away this. And I think we often think about this idea of lying. We're going to put away. I don't want to offend that person. Maybe Jesus is teaching us to love at times by sitting down and piecing together a whip, if you will, as he plays over the circumstance and says, we should step in and we should do something different. My my house of prayer has become a den of thieves. That is the love of God. Maybe we should look at our friends sometimes. You know, I don't think Peter had a warm moment. Jesus wasn't feeding his ego in the moment when Jesus is having a dialogue about eternity and Peter turns to the temporal and Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan. I'm thinking that wasn't an encouraging moment for Peter, but he was encouraged in the Lord because Jesus had also said, Peter, bro, we've got to speak truth to you because your confession of the Lordship of Jesus will be costly but worthy. And I want you to understand what it means to walk in me. So I'm going to speak truth to you now so that your confession will carry on and the church will be built on the firm firm foundation of truth-speaking, Christ-honoring, Christ-exalting body of believers. And there will be moments when we look at each other and we will, we will encourage you, we will edify us. I should do the happy part first and we'll hug one another and we'll stand on the stage at Mike and Bonnie and hug them and love them. But there will be also moments that God calls you to sit down with a brother and sister and offend them. And speak the truth to them. And not when they say, you know what, is it okay that I am doing this? You just look at them and say, no, it's not okay. And I refuse to lie to you. And I refuse to step into this. It's a church that just speaks with one another because isn't this our purpose according to Philippians? That we're going to flourish? That we want God to have within us all that we are so that we can become blameless and pure children of God without fault? And listen, in a crooked and depraved generation that surrounds us, For me, that's very meaningful when I begin to speak about truth because what we are surrounded by is is not truth, untruth, ungrace, multiple realities around us that speak anything but the truth of who God is. And so in the midst of this, we are looking at one another and saying, Jesus Christ, one hope. Jesus Christ, one Lord. Jesus Christ, one baptism. Jesus Christ, one God and Father overall. I know there's tremendous friction where you go, but in this room, there is truth 
There is hope, and you know that when I come to you, whether it is to say, way to go, you are lifting up the name of Christ, or I go, here's the challenge, you know without a doubt, I am for you. It may offend, it may disturb, it may catalyze, it may go, but I will speak truth. That seems like a purposeful body of believers. Love warms, love reproves, love confronts. It is patient, it is kind, it is gentle, it moves forward. It is profound, it is honest. Love meets us where we are and draws out the beauty of the living God in the midst of where we are going for His His namesake. It speaks truth. We have a, a role as I read Scripture that God has fit us together to grow in every way, to become into the image of Jesus Christ Himself. Not only are we truth speakers, I just read here that we are people of great grace. I'll be relatively quick with this one because I love the topic of grace, so you'll hear it a lot here. That we have the one thing, listen, because I want you to hear this in light of today. We have the one thing that the world simply cannot offer as a church, and that's grace. He, he talks about this as he, um, in verse 29, as she says, look, I'm not looking for foul language or things to come out of your mouth. I just want you to give grace. To every person who hears you, I want you to give grace. I want you to dispense grace and disperse grace everywhere you go. Grace is what makes you go as a church. It's what draws you together. We, we don't live in a grace-filled world. I mean, right now, with everything banging down the news, Christians are, are extraordinarily interesting as we respond to a lot of turmoil in this world in this world, you get what you pay for, you reap what you sow, you have an eye for an eye, it's quid pro quo, that's where we are. And Jesus looks in the middle and says, they may pillage your house, but give grace. They may beat you with 39 lashes, grace moves through you. They may come full throttle, but here's grace. I don't, I don't, I don't know, I'm, I work right here, like I work here. <laughs> yeah, I'll drive the same parking lot you'll drive out of every day. And for the next month, I'm not, I'm pretty positive that I will see a lot of ungrace right in this little shopping area during this holly jolly season. <laughs> and so while everybody is happily fighting to get an 850 candle at Bed Bath and Beyond or wherever that store was yesterday. And so while everybody is pushing their way in there, you know, I mean, people wave at you on the street here. It's really an awkward wave. I don't know why they don't use their whole hand. And so, I mean, they'll, they'll wave at you out here. I mean, it's not a place of grace. I've not had anyone to roll down the window and go, Oh, grace to you and peace to you. Come on into this lane. Come on. I've never sat in the Jag Stadium and everyone, you know, rose up together when the referee made an extraordinarily bad call and they watched it on the big screen up there and they said, Oh, that poor guy, he probably didn't sleep at Hollywood Express last night. We love you. Grace to you, referee. Grace to you. We don't live in a world filled with grace. And isn't it an extraordinary thing for people to walk in to the middle of the body of believers and they hear the speech of grace? I mean, it's the one thing the world cannot offer. I, I wrote this sentence down. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to build homes. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to feed the poor. You don't have to be a follower of Jesus to do what Mike and Bonnie have done. It definitively helps. But you don't have to be the follower of Jesus to do that. But a follower of Jesus will do that filled with grace. Permeated with the gospel. Knowing what Mike and Bonnie know, that we will repair Myson's heart. 
And we will partner with people from India and we will see this extraordinary move. But what we ultimately want to be repairing as we give them a cup of cold water is their eternal heart for the sake of the gospel. And then that happens among the church when we begin to view God that way, that we give great grace and great leeway because eternity is extraordinarily long. Reach the people of grace. I I wrote this sentence. I don't know if it's going to make the screen or not. Love is God's signature. Grace is what makes love strong to others. And we forgive freely. I end with this, just saying, you know what? In the midst of a body of believers, this is just, he said, you are filled with compassion in verse 32. And you forgive one another. Wouldn't it be awesome to be a part of a truth-speaking, grace-filled, forgiving community? Just... I mean, you, I mean, here, here's reality. I mean, God, come on. You know this, right? You're a rag doll. I mean, don't we all know this? Wouldn't it be awesome to just know that, first of all, to gain forgiveness, I recognize that I'm a rag doll, that at times I, I need what Ephesians 5 will teach us to be more filled with the Spirit. I am not where I ought to be and I've blown it. But to know that this, in this room, there is extraordinary forgiveness. It's, it's just who we are that makes up who we are, that we are a forgiving community. Jesus is scandalously ready to forgive. He is constantly ready to forgive. That's I've already alluded to Peter, so I'll just allude back to that. Peter, do you love me? Peter, I want to restore you. I think Jesus may even be sidling up to some of us right now and going, you're hearing this. Truth hasn't been who you are. Grace hasn't been your heart. Forgiveness is no... You've got... You've got... Axes to grind with so many, and Jesus is kind of pulling up beside you and saying, I hear all that. I just am wondering this. Do you love me? Because I want to restore you to me first, because the immeasurable riches of my grace and goodness will draw you toward, toward lavish grace, toward extraordinary forgiveness. That's what we'll do for you. I, I just, I love this, and I don't think that we're bent this way. I, I think of the woman that met Jesus and worshiped him, and I think of Simon in that encounter when she is, she is pouring fragrance all over him, and she is taking her hair and washing his feet, and Simon is looking at her and saying, what is she doing? She's wasting, and Jesus, Jesus Jesus looks and says these words, Simon, you completely missed this. She has gained great forgiveness because she is the most most internally aware ragdoll on the planet. And you have sat in here and done nothing. And she has poured out everything that she has. And her hair is washing my feet. Which one of you needs forgiveness, Simon? And Jesus was scandalously ready to forgive both, both the arrogant religious person and the one who is utterly broken, the ragdoll laying before him saying, Oh God, that you would restore me to the purpose that I have. And whether or not you land in either camp, Jesus is enough for you this morning. Most likely if you're here in the camp of Simon, it's going to require someone to offend you or speak into you because the religious are very proud of themselves. If you are having your hair out and you are fragrancing for Jesus, Scott, I don't know what you're going to do. have to use that beard or something. I don't know. but I was. <laughs> Thank you. You're very welcome. If you are preparing to pour your life out for Jesus, He's ready to forgive you, to restore you, to purpose you, and to call you for the sake of His glory. 
If you are like Simon, and I believe Simon responded in a powerful way. He's saying, look at that waste. His heart was seared in two when Jesus says, this is not waste, this is worship. And he began to worship as well. I end with this. He says to us, what I really want as you speak truth, as you adore grace, and as you freely forgive one another, here's what I want to do. I want to unleash my spirit among you. He says it this way in the scripture. I don't want you to grieve the spirit. You know what grieves the spirit? Ungrace. What grieves the spirit is unforgiveness. What grieves the spirit is untruth among the body of believers. And I think it's just as simple as this scripture to say when we sever the root and we become a people who are filled with grace, who are passionate for truth, and who are radical in our forgiveness, that we will free the Spirit of God among us in a manner that we cannot imagine. And I would pray for a body of believers to be called to that level of understanding. That when we meet Jesus, we will abound in generosity and grace. That we will sacrifice greatly for one another. That we will, as a body, listen to this, that we will renounce prior behavior and sin. That we will accept persecution and do this with joy because it's costly. That we will walk in the midst of this with celebration at our heart because it is a joyous calling that God has given us. That we will laugh together, weep together, high five together, shake hands if that's your thing, hug together and dance together because we have been greatly loved. And in the midst of that, we will discover, listen, listen, in the midst of that, we will discover among us a pearl of insurmountable, immeasurable price. And we will chase that and pursue that for the rest of our days in all of eternity, more Christ, more grace, abounding forgiveness, freedom of the Spirit. Oh, Holy Spirit, let it be. To be a part of the call. It's good.